Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Oscar, first of all, happy holidays to you. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and all the good stuff. All the good stuff, which should be on the dinner table here in about a week or so, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Here we are, December, looking at another Kentucky-North Carolina game. We wanted wanted to sit down and talk about this rivalry, but at what point did it really become a rivalry between Kentucky and North Carolina? Well, you know, it goes back a ways, but it doesn't go back that far. I mean, they played a few times back in the 20s, but it really didn't get serious until the 60s. And the, the neat thing about that, it actually started out with Frank McGuire and Adolph Rupp. Now, most of the younger people only remember Team Smith, who's been gone quite some time. But actually, the Frank McGuire and Adolph Rupp, who were big-time competitors, but very, very close friends, that's how it started. To me, the rivalry really – well, I was born in 77, so 1977, we'll talk about this. Yeah, the, it was a The uh, regional one. finals, we, we will talk about that. But at least for my dad telling me about that game and how mad he was at Dean Smith, and a, a lot of folks that age, 70, you know, 60, somewhere around there, they're mad about that. And then when I read about it, it seems like, to me at my age, the rivalry starts there and then going into the 90s. And then when Dean Smith surpassed Adolph Rupp. In 97. Yeah. Then the rivalry, for me at least, at my age, intensifies a lot more. And then you see where we're at right now with the rivalry. And then you look at the all-time record. I just get bitter about it, thinking about it. Well, first of all, the the rivalry has really hit a new high with John Calipari and Roy Williams. Mm -hmm. But if you go back a few years, you go back into the 70s and the 80s, it, it really hit a big high there with Rick Pitino and Roy Williams. Uh, first with Roy Williams out at Kansas, and then he moves back to North Carolina. So you had, you've had some big-time games there. But I think the fact that North Carolina and Kentucky were running neck-to-neck for all-time wins for so long in the 80s and 90s, Kentucky finally pulled ahead. But, you know, there was a, a couple, three local sports editors, or sports writers, I should say, that every year would start about who's leading. If they don't do this, they're going to get caught, this, that, it flipped back and forth. I think that's what made a rivalry. Now, on the negative side, this is one Scoots had Kentucky's number. I mean, very solidly over the last half century. I mean, as we look at it right now, North Carolina holds the all-time series lead 23-14. to 14. And that's something we'd like to see change. Well, when we talk in terms of numbers and North Carolina holding the edge over Kentucky, Dean Smith surpassing Adolph Rupp. And he did it right in front of the Kentucky fans' eyes on the way to Kentucky's national championship in 96. Happened up in Minneapolis, Minnesota all year long. Dean Smith had been telling people he wasn't hanging around just to beat Rupp's record. That year, he beat the Rupp record. And guess what? 
After his last game in the Final Four, he never coached another game. He waited till the next October and handed the reins over to Bill Guthridge. Three wins. 879 from Dean Smith, 876 from Adolph Rupp. Let's go back and talk about Kentucky and North Carolina. We could go all the way back to, what, 1924? Yes. What do you know about that? What'd you find out? Well, you know, I, I, I and they played twice in the 20s, and there was that period off. In those first two games, Frank McGuire was involved and not even Adolph Rupp. But when you go forward, you get up into it, you get up into 1959. And Kentucky invites North Carolina to the UKIT. Uh, they go into that UKIT, and Kentucky beats North Carolina 76-70 in the semifinals of that UKIT. It's only the third loss UK had suffered in that tournament, which had begun back in 1953. The next night, we'll touch on it because Kentucky lost that UKIT that year to a team by the name of West Virginia. The great Jerry West had 33 points and 18 rebounds. But the night before, when they beat North Carolina, Frank McGuire was on the sidelines. So was Adolph Rupp. Uh, Billy Ray Lickard had 15 points. Benny Kaufman had 23. Ned Jennings had 13. Uh, great game. Uh, ticket price that night. Sideline seat. Three rows up. Three dollars. Say what? Three dollars to hmm. see Kentucky play North Carolina. Oh, say I had paid one hundred and ten for UCLA, and you didn't see Jerry West out there. <laughs> no, I didn't. I did not. Three dollars. Wow. Okay, so how how did the rivalry progress from that UKIT game in nineteen fifty nine through the sixties? Well, in the sixties, you started seeing a lot of things change. A game here and there on TV that you didn't see before. Kentucky and North Carolina were the Blue Bloods at the time, along with St. John's was in that group of the top four all-time winningest teams. So there got to be some marquee matchups. North Carolina was trying to spread its program throughout the state of North Carolina. When Kentucky played in North Carolina, they didn't play in Chapel Hill. They would play in places like Greensboro and uh, – Charlotte. Kentucky in the 60s then would play some of their home games at Freedom Hall in Louisville. And boy, that was very, very attractive. And why was that? Well, I think the big thing is, is that for both schools, there were bigger arenas in Greensboro and Charlotte, and there was a much bigger arena at Freedom Hall with 18,000 seats and only 11,500 to 12,000 at Memorial Coliseum. Was the rivalry throughout the 60s was it as heated as it is today? Well, in some respects, because you had a young Dean Smith coaching for North Carolina, and you had Adolph Rupp, the Baron of basketball. And because they were two of the top teams in the entire nation, but they were known as basketball schools. Very, very intense, but today it's just on such a different level because of the magnitude of television. Every game's on TV. You got Sports Center talking about it day in and day out. You didn't see a whole lot of sports news on TV back then. I mean, you had your local sports cast each evening of three or four minutes, and that was pretty much it. Well, and you don't have everybody talking trash as much as we do now with social media and things like that. No one talked trash. Everything was a gentleman. I mean, to go to some of those games, and you've seen some of the pictures snapped in those games, the ladies wore dresses, Mm -hmm. the gentlemen wore coats, ties, all about all of them wore a hat. You know, I mean, it was like you were going to a, 
a concert or an orchestra or something like that to hear them play. I mean, it wasn't like a, a sporting event where you just put on a pair of jeans and a sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. A little class to it. Just a little. Just a little bit. What was the relationship between Adolph Rupp and Dean Smith? Well, I think I think early on, because Dean was much younger than him, you know, it was sort of like uh, new kid on the block. And he was getting pretty much the best of Kentucky up through 1970 or 71. And uh, can, uh, they, uh, they, the, the way the game was played – you had the four corners back then. And, you know, we really don't like to discuss it. But for the young ones, we got to. Yeah, we had you had, to. you had no clock. So what Dean Smith masterminded was getting players who could handle the ball and protect it, number one. Number two, they could all shoot free throws. So the only way you – once they got the lead, you never got the ball back unless you fouled them. And generally, they would hit their free throws. So you, you go throughout the 60s and 70s, with no clock. I mean, you know, you just knew if you come out and they got four points, the game was over. Well, let's talk about the four corners and something that uh, I know, like I said at the uh, top of our show here, a lot of older fans don't like to talk about that 1977 East Regional Finals between Kentucky and North Carolina because the four corners that Dean Smith whipped out. First of all, Cole Fieldhouse was a house of horse because it was 11 years before that Kentucky mm-hmm. lost to Texas Western in yep. a championship. Uh, going into Cole Fieldhouse that year in 77 was the first time I'd ever visited there. And it, it, it's a very unique um, basketball palace at the time. And when Kentucky went in, they knew exactly what they were going to expect. The, the ironic thing about that is it can, had Kentucky beaten Tennessee the, in the late in the season, the regular season, they would have been the first automatic bid to the NCAA. That time, you could have two teams per conference go into the tournament. And the team that was seeded the highest or had the best conference record got to stay in their home region, which was the Mideast Regional. Just so happens in 1977, that was the first year of Rupp Arena, and Rupp Arena was hosting the Mideast Regional. But they lost to Tennessee. They, I think they tied Tennessee, but they lost both games. That gave them the option of getting to stay home. So Kentucky went to the East Regional, and they were playing them in the Elite Eight game for a spot in the Final Four. That was the year that Marquette won the championship. And... Um, I, along with about 12 other players from that team, will go to Graves believing that had they won that game, they would have won the national championship that year. Mm-hmm. If memory serves me correctly, North Carolina got out to a double-digit lead in the first half and started going to the four corners before halftime. And yeah, every- it was 53-41 at the half, I yes. believe. And, and everybody just knew, you know, it's curtains. And there's nothing you can do. Just get out there and fight and fight and fight mm-hmm. and fight. And at halftime, you had a 12-point lead, North Carolina, uh-uh. No, not going to happen. And Jack Givens tried to do all he can. He came out in the second half, scored 18 points, ended up with 26 points, I think, for the game. But it wasn't happening for Kentucky. I read a quote from Rick Roby, and he said it was so aggravating guarding against the four corners. Yeah, uh, that was also the game that Phil Ford was playing, but he had been hurt for some time it wasn't up to 100 percent and throughout that game kentucky played what i would call a perfect defensive game considering they were down double digit halftime late in the game uh 
Roby and John Kuster gets tangled up under the bucket, and Kuster goes down, and he's like a dying quail. He just sprouts out on the floor, kicking arms and everything, and Dean Smith jumps up, runs out on the floor to tend to him. Then on his way back, he spots Roby, who was tangled up with him, and walks to the team and calls him an SOB. And I'm sitting courtside along with four or five other reporters, and we're like, did we hear just what we heard? And so they questioned him after the game, and Dean Smith denied it. Roby confirmed it. Uh, but later in the game, it gets down to where it's a one-possession game. North Carolina's got the ball, bringing the ball up the court, and Larry Johnson made the defensive play of the game. And instead of calling a charge on Carolina, they called a block on Larry, and they hit the free throws and ended up winning the game, I think, by five. Joe B. was the coach at the time. Went one and five against North Carolina? That is correct. What were the other four games? They were uh, played at uh, different places. Well, I think one was in Greensboro, and I think one was in uh, – no, one of, one of Joe's was actually against uh, Michael Jordan in the early 80s up in the Meadowlands. You know, and I, Kentucky had somebody hurt. They, they played decent. But they didn't win. It, it was a tough game for Joe because that was during their heydays. I mean, that's when Carolina was really getting good. And they had, you know, all those All-Americans at that time. Yeah, I think Jordan and a few of them combined for 60-something points in that game. Yeah, I know I know the, the game after after the game in 77 in, in uh, uh, College Park, I was in the locker room. I have never seen to this day a devastated group of young men as those cats were that year. And Joe B. says to this day, in his opinion, that he thinks his 77 team was better than the 78 team. Uh, Larry Johnson was, I mean, you talk about a competitor of the nth degree. And uh, it just just didn't happen. And it just sort of seemed like that North Carolina had Kentucky's number a number of those games through there. Joe Hall, his relationship with Dean Smith, even though he uh, only won one game against Dean, what what was that relationship like? Well, I, you know, I, I think that the, the rivalry between Coach Rupp and Dean Smith sort of made it a little bit better for Joe Hall. Like now Dean Smith was sort of proud to say, I'm sort of, you know, the, the master and I'm going to teach you a few things. It was decent. It wasn't great. Uh it was better than, than Joe Hall and Ray Mears or Joe Hall and Digger Phelps <laughs> mm-hmm. or Joe Hall and Bobby Knight. But uh, Joe was such a competitor, he wasn't going to be too good of friends with anybody that beat him more than he beat them. From there, the rivalry kind of cooled down a little bit. And I think between – Eddie never played against North Carolina, did he? He never coached against Carolina. Yeah, actually, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that just a, sec- uh, a minute here, about the coaches that coached against Carolina. Uh, not counting the the first two games that were played in the pre-30s. Adolph Rupp was 5-6 and six against Carolina. Joe Hall was 1-5. Eddie Sutton did not play against Carolina when he was coach here. Rick Pitino, now here's one for you. Never beat Carolina, 0-3. And, and then here's one even bigger for you. Tubby Smith replaced Rick Pitino after losing three in a row. Tubby wins the first four. And Tubby had a few memorable games against Carolina. Yes, he did. Now, he did lose his last three, but his overall record was four and three. Billy Clyde doesn't help the cause at all, 0 oh and two. <laughs> and then John Calipari comes along, and this is the real rivalry now. Yeah. And John Calipari is four and two against Carolina. 
going into Saturday night. And those have been some fun games. Yes, they have. I mean, uh, you go back and, and, and look at those games. Uh, I, the, the, going back a little bit earlier, one of the, one of the fun games was um, Rick Pitino's first game against Carolina, and it was in Freedom Hall. And I forget the score of the game, but it was a pretty good blowout, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, they went to Carolina and played them off their butt. They didn't win, but they played them off their butt. And Carolina knew that second year of Rick Pitino, Kentucky's back. And then in 1995, in the NCAA tournament in the regional finals, Kentucky had the two seed, Carolina had the fourth seed, and Carolina in, ended up beating Kentucky 74-61. to 61. But there was a little drama in that game between uh, Andre Reddick and Rasheed Wallace. Absolutely. Well, more and Walter, Walter, Walter McCarty got tangled up in it, yes. but really didn't. Yes. Uh, that, that, that probably was the moment that it started becoming a bitter rivalry. You know, because, again, Dean Smith was there, and Dean was always holier than thou wherever he went. I mean, uh, you know, Dean liked to tell everybody that he was did everything the right way, but he didn't want anybody to know about his one advice. And if this is the only advice I had, I would consider myself perfect. But he was so engrossed with having a public image that was perfect. He didn't like anybody to know that he smoked. And you would catch him at places, and he would always take a drag and put it underneath the table and hide it. Now, the only other person I knew that ever did that was our great one and only K. Wood Ledford, who could do it right at midcourt during a game. <laughs> and still had a great radio voice. And the still best. had a great radio still voice. Still the best. Still the best. God rest his soul. Kentucky that night, they went 7 of 36 from the three-point line. Andre Riddick, Rasheed Wallace get tangled up. Walter McCarty even got a technical, and he didn't even do anything. I think I got a technical that night because I was so mad. I had a party that night. That was my senior year in high school. I had a party that night and had about 30 people over at my mom and dad's house. And as soon as Kentucky lost, my mom and dad looked at all my friends and said, I would get out of here if I were you all right now. I think we lost a player that night that wasn't a senior. Was that the last game of Roderick Rhodes? You're right. You're absolutely right. Of course you would be right on that. Yeah. And I, re- I remember, oh, I was so mad at him because I don't think he showed up. I don't think he really showed well, up to play. During the game, late in the first half, someone was in foul trouble. And Roderick was jacking him up from just about everywhere except the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And Rick put him in and said, don't take another shot. And he fired up two more. And after that game, he was sent packing. Yeah, and I, I, can, re- I can remember now seeing him walking off the court and just how angry I was about Rhodes. And, I mean, I don't like to put a, put a loss on one player completely, but that day I did. Well, you know, the, the Roderick Rhodes story is uh, – is a difficult one to try to uh, explain. He came here from New York to help save Kentucky. He was a, a year uh, uh, two later than uh, Jamal Mashburn. And I remember as soon as they got him here, part of the recruiting of him, if you come, we're going to come back at New York. And we played in the ECAC Festival his freshman year, and he was attorney MVP. And it probably was just a little bit too much for him to handle at the time. And uh, he, I, I thought he was always, a, a, in a way, a good kid. He just didn't listen often enough or follow orders. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that Rick was probably a little bit too quick with, a, with the eject button on him. But then that's what you hire coaches for. 
Right, right. Well, and I think it was his freshman year of the Georgia Tech game where he came out and was just unbelievable yes. that game. And that's when I really thought we have something special here at Kentucky, being Roderick Rhodes. But the following year in 96, we had something really special. Yeah, and then, then well. and, the, and there's some people will say they may have not won it in 96 if they hadn't taken the action they did in after 95. Let's fast forward from 95 to the 2000s, and we're talking about Tubby and some of these great wins that he had against Carolina. Tayshawn Prince. Tayshawn Prince. What a night. What a night, absolutely. He had, what did he have? 31 points that night. And, of course, it was the five threes that he drained at the beginning of the game. Two, three. Can he make it four, five, six? Tayshawn from the top of the key. And then he hit his first two from the top of the key. The third one, and I'll never forget this, three was deep in the right corner. Number four, where was he on the court? I can't remember, but I remember he took a couple steps back, drained it, and then number five, the one everybody remembers from the edge of the UK logo at center court and just drained it. And And that place went nuts. After he hit that one, I said, you know what? This guy's not going to miss one tonight. Well, he eventually did. But, I mean, for that five, six-minute stretcher, I don't think I've ever seen anything to match it in the blue and white. Five consecutive three-pointers in two minutes scored Kentucky's first 15 points. Gerald Fitch said at the end of that fifth three-pointer when that went in, his ears were hurting because it was so deafening in Rupp Arena. And maybe one or two other – that atmosphere I can remember at Rupp Arena how loud it was. And we're going to talk about the other atmosphere of the North Carolina-Kentucky game as well. But Tayshon, one of the best – probably the best performance against Carolina. I, I no can't doubt. remember exactly, but was Matt Darty the coach that year? Or do he you was. Remember? Yes. He was. I, he was at the game, by the way, that last week. I almost went up to him and said, hey – can I get your autograph right below this Tayshawn Prince scorecard? <laughs> You're cruel. You are cruel. Tayshawn had 31 points and 11 rebounds. Another win that Tubby had um, was in uh, December of 02. Again, December, Kentucky, North Carolina. Write it down. That was the really good team Tubby had. And Kentucky ended up winning that game 98-81. to And it was their third straight win against North Carolina. Yeah, uh, uh, Tubby had their number. You know, I mean, he was playing right. That was the one school that everybody was hanging on to Tubby. He won the title in 98. He went to lead eight in, in 99. And then, you know, things sort of started softening out. But he always took care of North Carolina those first four years. 58 points in the second half. And you had Bogans and Marquise Estel, 20 points each. Gerald Fitch had 25 points. And... If Tubby is going to be remembered for anything, and there's a lot of great things that you can remember Tubby for, obviously the national championship, but this has got to be right up there, what he did Carolina during his tenure here at Kentucky. Yeah, he lost the last three, but they weren't they, – they don't overshadow what he did those first four years. And he was taking players, like you said, like Marquise Estel, who I think is one of the most underrated players that's ever played here. He took some guys that were just everyday workaholics – and turn them into great players, and they played so well as a team. Well, let's talk about some of the uh, not-so-bright spots in the Kentucky-UNC rivalry. And uh, one of them came uh, in December of 05. Kentucky was ranked number 10, and Carolina came in and upset them, 83-79. to Carolina, they had some question marks on that team because they'd won the national championship before, and uh, most of that team was already gone. 
and came in and made a big statement by upsetting Kentucky. Yeah, that that was that was getting beginning to get during that stretch where Tubby's recruiting had fallen off, and he was getting, you know, I wouldn't say four and five stars, but mostly three star type recruits, and uh, he was trying to build, and and he he lost some close games. Uh, it's what people get used to. And once you have that great success early and you won those four in a row to start out and then you lose a couple and then everybody starts questioning this play, that play, got this guy in, not that guy in. And by then, I think Darty was gone and things are starting to change at Carolina. Kentucky lost five straight during the span of, I want to say, was it 04 and 08? Somewhere in between. Yes, there. yeah, and and the problem there is those lights too were Billy Clyde Gillespie. If you look at the scores, they're all consistent, being in the eighties and seventies. Well, there are a lot of streaks in this series. You know yeah. that that that's the interesting thing about it. You usually don't see that unless there's a gap in there where a program is heading down. You've changed coaches, something like that. This is very uh, systematic of the series with Louisville in football. You know, you look at a certain coach being there four years and being fired. They lose those four. One comes in. So that that happens a great deal. Bill Guthridge, when he replaced Dean Smith, sort of suffered there. And, you know, you you came in with Matt Darty, which was a complete disaster. Uh, But then you had Billy Clyde to come in here. The the last three years of Tubby, he lost those last three years to Carolina – but guess who he beat those last three years? Louisville. I was waiting for you to say that. Don't you just love to hear that word? I do, I do. In that connotation. I do. By the way, what a wonderful football win a couple of weeks ago. We haven't talked oh, much no, since then. No, no. <laughs> you know, uh <laughs> when you when you talk about upsets, you're talking about important wins, there's nothing like winning a game. Basically, on the last play of the game, it wasn't a last play, but all practical purposes, it was. Mm-hmm. But to win that game, beating the Heisman Trophy winner Lamar Jackson the way they did, boy, you talk about a shot in arm for Mark Stoops as they get prepared to play in the Tax Slayer Bowl against Georgia Tech no on question. New Year's Eve. Your biggest that rivalry. Was it. Your biggest rivalry at their stadium. Twenty-four point underdog. I mean, it doesn't get any better than no, that. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, the only way it could get better is if we win a bowl game in seventy degree weather come late December. After a week after you've beaten Louisville in basketball. Absolutely. Let's talk about Cal and the Carolina series. Uh, it gets a little fun here, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Well, everything's a little bit fun with uh, Cal. Coming in, <laughs> hitting the high stride. The one thing that benefited Cal, but it's to his credit, is generally when a new coach comes in and takes over for a program in disarray like UK was when Billy Clyde left, you usually have a couple of years you struggle to get there. But boy, did he arrive in town with a busload of talent. I mean, Bledsoe, Wall. DeMarcus Cousins, Cousins, John Wall. You know, even Darnell Dotson that first year. Yeah, and he had he had a decent core coming back with Patrick Patterson. Perry Stevenson and Patrick Patterson. Cal's first game against Carolina here, which was a nail biter, if you will, which he probably gave a few Kentucky fans some heart attacks. Kentucky ended up winning sixty-eight to sixty-six. I think Kentucky was ranked five that year uh, in the AP poll. Carolina was ten, and it was there was an interesting twist to it because the John Wall factor kid out North Carolina. Carolina did recruit him a little bit. I think they backed off a little bit, and then he ended up at Kentucky. And um, 
They didn't have the right connection with friends of the family. What are those connections? Well, I mean, it's basically the the summer program he'd participate in mm-hmm. and some of the AU coaches. And I think at some point in line somewhere along there, uh, one of the coaches made a reference years earlier that they wouldn't be recruiting him. And that's before they realized how good he was and came back to bite him. And the team was real good because they went up 19 points on Carolina. Uh, I think they started off on a 28-2 to run, and then Carolina got back into it. I mean, it was – sweat beads were popping out those last three or four minutes. And Wall had to go out because he had cramps, I believe. That's right. And Bledsoe, he hit uh, three or four free throws towards the end of the game. Wall comes back in, hits two free throws to seal the win for Kentucky. The next time they played was uh, December 4th, 2010, and uh, Kentucky ended up losing by two points. Yeah, that was a tough game. That was the following year. That was a tough game. But you knew the rivalry had reached a new height. At that point in time, suddenly, the rivalry was going to supersede and I think replace – at least currently and for the foreseeable future, uh, Indiana as the number one non-conference rivalry, non-Louisville rivalry on the schedule. And we'll talk about that here when we get through some of these memorable games. But a uh, freshman guard by the name of Deron Lamb, 24 points in uh, that loss against Carolina. But that loss to Carolina set up for a uh, wonderful tournament win in 2011. Well, you didn't like to be the seed that Kentucky was. They were seeded so low. They had to f- they had to play Ohio State and North Carolina in the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8. And there was no way Kentucky was going to win those two games. I think it was up in New Jersey, if I remember yeah. right. And, I mean, they, there was no way they were going to win it. One game, let alone two. Hey, you talk about a gauntlet. And when there, the when there, when there, when there, a guy named Sollinger playing for Ohio State at that uh, time. If I remember, I think he got a ball thrown in his chest by what was that dude's name? He used to wear yeah. the jorts, Josh Harrelson. Yes, yes. Which is one of probably my favorite Josh Harrelson memory <laughs> and, of all time. And, and and looking back there, I was really really upset with the team for sort of squandering some leads and blowing some games early that caused them to get that low seed. Uh, but my goodness, after you win those two, you're glad they were in that title run there. I think, though, those two took so much out of them as why they didn't end up winning the title in, in 11. I mean, it took everything they could get to get there. And you think about it, just think that team in particular, uh, was that that was Princeton, that first round game? It was Brandon Knight that hit the game winner. Yes. And then they had beat Ohio State 62-60 to in the regional semifinals. And then they defeated Carolina 76-69. to And then they only lost to UConn by, what, two points? Yeah. One point yeah. in the Final Four. So they were playing it pretty close to the chest. But it was Cal's first Final Four. It was. And, you know, that was, a, that was the game where you said, boy, this is natural progression. Lead eight, Final Four championship throw this number out at you 13 years since kentucky's last final four prior to that year yes uh by 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 11 and then the the key to that 2012 team though in my opinion as great as that freshman class was that year the key to it was two one and duns becoming two and done terrence jones deron lamb Mm -hmm. had either one of them not been there i don't know if they could have won that championship but they were there, and then, of course, Mr. Clutch, Darius Miller. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly the foundation, the anchor yes. of that team in the Final Four and that uh, 
championship run. Well, let's talk about my favorite game of all time against Carolina. I don't know where it ranks on your list, but December 3rd, 2011. The only thing I ever remember about that game, I, I have compact everything in to one play, all of it. I can't remember anything other than Carolina having a shot to win it all when they should not have had a shot to win it all. They should have been put away three, five minutes earlier. And they're taking that shot from the baseline, and there goes Anthony Davis. And he not only blocks it, he retrieves it. Yeah. Game over. And there may have been crowds that were as loud as that night. There's never been any any louder than on that play right there. On that play at the end. Yes. And that was a wild crowd, too. Yes. And how much fun is it? And you see it with Carolina, and you see it with definitely Louisville. There's a buzz around town. Yes, and and, in, and so often in the Carolina game, that one included, is there were times where Kentucky should have put them away. You would have thought, they're up 10 now. They should make it 14. And yet, to give Carolina credit, they never quit. I mean, all of a sudden, if he doesn't block that shot, it's a one-point loss. Kentucky loses. That ball is going in. Just last night, I'm watching the game, and – he blocks a shot on the final play of the game at the three-point line at the top of the circle. I mean, Anthony Davis's defense, his length mm-hmm. on guarding against the three, that wasn't a three-point shot. But, I mean, I, I look, when going back, and I've still got that on my DVR, and I watch at least once a year. <laughs> and to see him, I mean, when the, when the guy's starting to go up to release the ball, I say there's no way he's going to block it. And if he doesn't block it, it's going in. Yet he gets it. Well, think about the hype around this game, too. Kentucky was preseason number one. North Carolina was preseason number two. You've got dozens of NBA scouts there. At one point, I think Carolina went up by 10. And it all came down to one block by a freshman. And I'll throw this one out at you. You want to know how many points he scored that night? Uh, I know it wasn't double digits. Seven points. Seven points, nine rebounds, two big blocks, one huge block. And to me, it seemed like that's when I realized Anthony Davis is going to be a special, special player. You know, and, and, and that game there is the reason why I'm so disappointed that it looks like we're not going to continue this Kentucky-North Carolina series beyond the current deal that CBS has got because the ACC has gone to 18 league games a year and Royce decided that you know he, he doesn't need that extra game on there with 18 league games and I understand that mm-hmm. but you know it, it's just so disappointing not to have a couple home and home games a year with uh, intersectional rivalries of, of the of the blue bud uh you know take the ucla game which kentucky just got swept both home and away on i hope they continue that i mean you know they're not going to do that very often sweep both of them but it's just so good for the fans and i'd like to see them do one with either carolina or ucla in this same mode uh and put it down a little bit later in the schedule maybe like they've got the kansas game this year the last week of january uh to, br- to bring a flavor in from your conference foes, at least as long as the SEC is weak as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, get something, get everybody really hyped up about. Well, I was going to say that, you know, we, we say we're going to talk about Kentucky, North Carolina, how, can, how North Carolina leads the series and how the series will go away. Overall, it's good for college basketball. Well, yeah, and, and that's, you know, 
I love March Madness, but that shouldn't be the only time you think about college basketball. I mean, you go through the month of November and December, so it doesn't even exist. For Kentucky, it does now because Kentucky understands that they got to have better opponents in December to make up for the ones they don't have in January and February. But uh, I would like to see more of these intersectional games and, you know, spread them out a little bit. It would be good if the SEC would take one week off. Uh, say, the first week of February and say we're not going to have any conference games this week and each school can put in one intersectional game. be neat. Well, it would be interesting. I think if you scheduled a team that's really good somewhere, you got a little measuring stick there going into March. And if you've not had a real good year, that gives you the opportunity to show the selection committee maybe we're better now than we were in November. Let me tell you a funny story about that uh, Kentucky-Carolina game in 2011. That was my first year I could go back to UK games because I was no longer producing for uh, the IMG uh, UK network. I remember they did the 360 panoramic picture Mm -hmm. that game. Clearly, you can see my dad, my sister. I'm sitting next to my sister, and I had my hands over my face, clapping, so my face is blocked, so you can't even see me in the mm-hmm. picture. My mom didn't go. My sister had taken a boyfriend of hers or something like that. So Davis blocks the shot. Crowd goes nuts. I, I'm, I'm wild. I get out of control. I pushed my sister down. I was so happy. Mm-hmm. The woman behind me kissed me. at Rupp, First kiss ever at Rupp Arena. The woman behind me grabbed me. I pushed my sister down, five rows down. We come back. Mom said, how wild was it? And Dad said, it was pretty wild at the end. Mom said, it sounded pretty wild. He goes, but I'll tell you this. If he acts like that again, he'll never go back to Rupp Arena with me, ever. <laughs> so I enjoyed it. That was fun. Uh, the undefeated team. Let's talk about them. They got a win against Carolina uh, in uh, 2014. Kentucky number one. They beat 21. Number 21, Carolina, 84 to 70. Carl Towns, two points. You know, Carl, Carl developed very, very slowly that one year he was here. By the time you got to the SEC tournament, you could see something really special developing. And then in, in, in the NCAA, he really turned it on. Should have gone to him couple more times in the final three minutes that's another story but uh you know that that 84 to 70 win uh being as it as it was uh was very special because kentucky usually ends up beating carolina when they do in a single digits not double digits mm-hmm. that was a great team well let's end it on this as far as all of Kentucky's rivalries, you talk about Tennessee, you talk about Louisville, we've just talked about Carolina. Where does it rank on the list? Well, you know, you'd have to pick it up. They didn't play them in as long a stretch as they did, say, Indiana or Kansas, either one, or Louisville. Uh, but in, in, in little semi-stretches, because they were so high in the rankings, it's very, very special. I, I think it for TV ratings – I would guess that for TV ratings, Kentucky, North Carolina will outdraw anybody else that Kentucky plays during the year, including Louisville, Indiana, Kansas, UCLA, just because Carolina's who Carolina is. Uh, This Saturday, the only thing I regret about this Saturday is we don't get to see it in person. It should be in Lexington or it should be in Carolina. If it can't be one or two, think it should have been a little closer in Las Vegas. But you can't have everything. I think Kentucky is in good shape right now. I think Carolina's in good shape. Carolina did not play their best Sunday against uh, Tennessee. Probably should have lost to Tennessee. Now, will that be a wake-up call for Carolina? They're very, very good. 
They've got some size. Kennedy Meeks seems like he's been there for I was getting ready to say, it years. seems like Kennedy Meeks has been there for a while. We're on a quicker pace here with our players. Yes. Uh, thank you. I think it's going to be up and down the court like Roy Williams liked to play and like John Calipari likes to play. I like Kentucky in a close game. I just want to see Kentucky at free throw. There's going to be a lot of free throws in that game. Kentucky needs to hit at least 70% of their free throws. Be nice if they hit 75. But I think it's going to be the deciding game that – we've come to expect from Kentucky in big games like this. It's very, very important. I think when you look at the remainder of Kentucky's schedule this season, you've got Carolina Saturday, next Friday. I think it's Friday. you got Louisville. And then in January, you got Kansas. A little games on a Wednesday night, by the way. Wednesday night. Yeah. Okay. They desperately need to win two of those three games if they want to have a one or two seed. You, you, a lot of people say, well, it doesn't matter. You still got to win six games. Yeah, but there's a difference in winning two easy games, two medium games, and two tough games. You don't want to have to go in like Kentucky did that year when they had to beat Ohio State and North Carolina just to get there. Uh, I'd say Kentucky probably is going to be a two-and-a-half to three-point favorite would be my guess, and that's about where I would put it. What do you like about this team so far this year? Oh, there's a lot to like. What I'm really going to enjoy seeing more than that as they mature and come together. I mean, they're playing like young chickens just been hatched. They're just all over the place. And and they, they take some ill-advised shots at times. Uh, they're very quick. They got a lot of speed. I want to see them hit the boards better. They're not playing the cow defense that he'll have them playing by late February. Um, the game, the game against UCLA, I would like to think has sort of taught them some early lessons. But you, you can't ever forget freshmen are freshmen are freshmen. As they develop, I think the success of this team, when it's all said and done, is going to come down to how three players act their age. That is two seniors, Derek Willis, Dominic Hawkins. I like to see them playing more to the tune of a Darius Miller this year. And then the other player is Isaiah Briscoe. He has shown his best, and then he's shown when he's sort of decided, well, now I've arrived. I don't like to see him play when he says, now I've arrived. Mm-hmm. You don't step on the baseline three times in four minutes. No. Now, he's not going to do that as it gets along. He, the, the first two games this year, you could see, boy, this kid has improved 200%. Coming back this year is going to make him, and it is. I think he's only going to get better. As he becomes the owner, as he, as he becomes the coach on the floor, right now he's about a 50% coach on the floor. By March, I think he's going to be about 90%. As he assumes that role, and more importantly, as he assumes the responsibility of that role, this team's going to be good. Where do you see De'Aaron Fox at the end of the year? Somewhere in the top five in the draft. Well, I don't have a comeback for that, Oscar, so I hope you're right on that. So, well, I will uh, talk to you Saturday. We'll get together for a UK-Carolina game. We will be ready. We'll have some holiday refreshments. Yes, sir. All right, Oscar. Have a good one. See you.